Welcome to River's Edge Church Podcast. Each week we strive to bring you biblically accurate, exegetical preaching of God's Word so that you might belong, believe, and become like Christ. We hope that you will find this week's message beneficial in your walk with Christ. We're going to be in a new book today, um, and I, if you don't know much about me, I, lo- I like the Bible a whole lot, okay? Um, and... I get really excited about things that not everybody necessarily gets excited about when it comes to the Bible, but I do love walking with people through God's Word uh, in a structured manner. And so we're going to go back and forth between the New Testament and the Old Testament quite a bit, and today is kind of our venture into the Old Testament for the first time. We're going to be in a book called Habakkuk, which for those who grew up in the South, it's Habakkuk, because that's how we pronounced it, and I was corrected by a Jewish person, and I was like, well, I won't pronounce it that way anymore then. And I don't use enough in it, but, you know, um, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So we're going to be in this book, and we're going to go almost chapter by chapter, but it's a really wonderful book. Um, And and what we're talking about throughout this book is a really good example of how do we live out our faith in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of discouragement, and in the midst of dismay. And that's what this book's kind of about. It's just a, a little screenshot, essentially, of God's God's commands on us on how do we respond to things we don't understand. So I'm going to have my brother Mark come up. He's going to read the first chapter, 1 through 11, today. Uh, And then he'll open us up with some prayer. The pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw, How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges, for the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own, They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and rulers or a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to to capture it. Then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. So as we look at this passage, um, there's a couple little interesting things. Usually I spend a moment to talk about context, and oddly enough, this is one of those books where there's not a lot to go on. Um, we don't know a whole lot about um, Habakkuk. We, don't, we know about three things in particular. Uh, one, we know that he was a prophet, because it tells us that he was a prophet. Um, two, we almost 100% know he was Jewish, only because he was in the Jewish writings. So we're making a leap of faith saying he's probably Jewish. And the third thing is we know he was very upset. (laughs) That's kind of what we know for sure. Um, We've got some things we know, like one, we know that this book was written about 620 to 587 BCE, which 700 years, give or take, before Jesus. Let's use that as a round number. Um, And we know that he was 
unlike some of the other prophets that were written, some of those smaller prophets like Amos, he was not a country prophet. He was more likely a temple prophet, which means he belonged to a full-time priestly ministry. Now, um, here's the reality, though. None of that really matters because the emphasis of uh, Habakkuk is solely focused on God's message and not his messenger. And we know that because they don't tell us anything else. Sometimes in, in some of these other books, there's information about the messenger that helps us understand what they are. But in this case, there's not. It's solely about the message. What is God saying here? Um, as we get ready to kind of explore into this, I want you to think about, you know, as we look through our, whether it's Facebook or you look, if you watch the news or you just look out your door probably for some of us, um, it's really easy to get like overwhelmed and anxious about the world we live in, especially like if you have young kids um, or kids who, don't, who live farther off. Like it's so easy just to get completely overwhelmed by just what it feels like the whole world is doing. And sometimes it feels like the world's never been so wicked, right? There's a lot of people who are anticipating the end of times, which certainly they're closer than they were yesterday because it's in a lineal time. But um, the reality is, is if we explore through history and we, and we read even through God's word and the historical part, we recognize wickedness has been there since the beginning. Since the fall, wickedness had existed. And man, and the human race, is really good at wickedness. It's really good at evil. Like, it's got it down. And we live probably in a time where our access to the amount of pain and hurt and brokenness in the world is there. But I assure you, the, the, the depths of evil have always been there. There have always been supremely horrible people doing horrible things to other people. And so... In that, it's oftentimes a wonder of asking ourselves, what is going on? And it, and it kind of pushes us to ask this question, which in some sense Habakkuk is actually asking. And it's just one of those key theological questions that we end up wrestling with, which is, in shorter terms, how is a good and all-powerful God allow evil to prevail? Or as my daughter told me the other day, why do bad things happen to good people, Right? And we've all wrestled with that, surely. Maybe not as much in, in our adult stages, but, but we recognize, like, bad things are happening, and oftentimes it feels like they happen to really good people. And why is that? How does a good God allow that? This is not a new debate. So if TikTok was the first time you heard this, you're wrong, I promise you. Um, so the first person to eloquently write this out was Epicurus. He was a famous Greek philosopher. You can look him up if you want. And he came out what was known as the Epicurean Paradox. It's lengthy and wordy. I won't read it all to you. But in some sense, he says that God is either wishes to take away the evils and is unable, or he's able and unwilling. And then he ends it with this, which I think is really, because he doesn't give a statement. He asks these questions. If God is both willing and able to take away evil, then what, from what source then um, are evils, and why does he not remove them? I think we can all relate to that question. If God is good, and God is powerful, and we know that he doesn't like evil, and that he would sooner not have evil than to have it, why doesn't he take it away? Now, there's some really brilliant responses to this. And again, I will not read them because they're very wordy, very wordy. Um, and if you would like to know more about them, ask me later. But there is one kind of simple truth 
and it's this, that God is God, and we are not. We don't see things as God sees them. We, God sees all things all the time. He's outside of time, which is so hard for us to wrap our head around because we are in time. And so God sees the beginning and the end. He knows what's happening. And God is good because he tells us he's good. And if God is good, then he couldn't lie to us. So there's a paradox there. But that answer is great theologically. It's great philosophically. But what do we do because it leaves us being overwhelmed with fear and anger and frustration and hurt because we still live in a broken space, right? So what do we do with that? Like we can't just hang our hat on some type of philosophical answer because that doesn't really feed us. That doesn't make me want to get out of bed the next day. So I think that's why God gives us books like Habakkuk. And he gives us books um, like Lamentations where we can go and see how strong men struggled yeah, even when they knew God, even when they'd been in his presence, even when God had shown them things that we can only fathom, we realize, man, we can all struggle. So, um, as we get ready to look into verse 1, I want to point out something. Um, it's weird in my passage, in your passage possibly, but the word pronouncement in verse 1 is actually a Hebrew word, and it's called masa. And it actually means oracle. And that's how it's written in like the KGV or maybe even your ESVs, some of your more formal. It's written as an oracle. And what's interesting is that word actually means burden or to carry or to bear. And I think it's really interesting that this is something that we see in this because this is something that Habakkuk is bearing. His vision that God has given him, this, this, this prophetic moment that he has provided for Habakkuk is a burden. What's cool about burdens is, um, if you've ever think about this, I'm, um, is how we handle burdens. Like, my, my body can put on weight really well, and I, I don't realize it. Like, I'm walking around, and I'm like, wow, I'm a lot heavier than I used to be, and it doesn't really seem to, doesn't feel any different, kind of, you know. But our bodies can adjust really well. Um, you know, if it's cold out, you kind of get used to the cold. Uh, when I was a kid, I grew up in South Georgia, and it was miserably hot every day of my life. I was profusely sweating since I was born. It's just all the time sweating. That's all I ever remember. And um, <laughs> it was miserable. But uh, we mo- I moved to Appalachia State, which is in the mountains, and I got very acquainted with cold really quickly because you kind of have to. And I found that I like cold a lot. But my body had to acclimate. And now I'm back in South Carolina. I'm not going to lie to you. The last few weeks with the on and off cold thing, I've been quite chilly, which is weird for me to say. Um, but we get acclimated to things, like especially like things like if you hurt your ankle, your body will adjust. You hurt your hand, your body adjusts. And you don't think about it. This is not a conscious decision. Your body just does it. And our minds do the same thing. Our minds, God has just given us this unique tool. And our minds do the same thing when we have things that are weighing us down. But even when they adjust, we're not living fully. Like we're, we're, we're hobbled, right? We're, we're hindered from living a full life and see what Christ did for us was that he died so that we might experience what life is like abundantly, without burden. Now what's great is, is if we look at Habakkuk, the reason that it makes so much sense is because Habakkuk is actually burdened with a complaint. If you can imagine that. Imagine having a forthright conversation with God and he responds to your complaint. Uh, and he doesn't back down. We'll see that for the next few weeks. He, he kind of keeps complaining for a minute. But 
Habakkuk is, is, is <clears throat> burdened with this complaint, and God's going to use it to do two things. One, he's going to use it to reveal how he is working amongst his creation. The second thing he's going to use is he is going to use it to direct our responses. Not ours, but the people of Israel's. But in turn, ours. He's going to use it to direct his people's response. So if you look at verse 1, it says the pronouncement of, this, uh, of the prophet Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk saw. And then he says this nice, lengthy, very honest prayer for about two or three verses. It says, how long, Lord, must I call, on, uh, call for help? And you do not listen. Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save. Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing. Conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous and therefore justice comes out perverted. As a parent, some of the most difficult times is watching your child in pain, right? But I'll be honest with you, the things that bother me more than that, the only thing that really bothers me is knowing, finding out they were in pain and I didn't know about it. Like discovering they were struggling and I had no idea. And it brings a, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of, of worry about that. And it kind of drives us to this question, if God's our Father, why, why do we hesitate to tell him how we really feel? Right? He's our parent. Why, why do we hesitate? I mean, he knows all things, right? Jeremiah 7, or 17.10 says, I, the Lord, ex examine the mind, I, I test the heart, to give to each according in his ways, according to what his actions deserve. God already knows what we have and haven't done. He already knows what we feel. We're not hiding anything from him. So often, a lot of times we fall into this culture ideal of what a Christian should be, right? Like, I grew up this way. Um, when you think about a Christian and how you're supposed to act as a Christian, what, you know, the things that used to come to my mind was, one, we were, we're always kind and happy, right? We've always got our stuff together. Right? We've always, we always are, 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 are quick to... Uh, to to love on somebody or to pray on somebody. And the reality is uh, Christians are very broken people. I am a very broken person. But I have a desire and I aspire to be like a perfect Savior. That, that's, that's all I can do. We aren't perfect. We're not. And we don't have to constantly feel like we have to have it together. God has zero expectations of that. If you read through the, all of the Bible, you read through the Old and the New Testament, you'll never see once in there where God's like, I expect you to have figured it all out. I expect you to always get it right. What you'll find is a reoccurring thing. It's like, without me, you can't do anything right. <laughs> like, like, if you don't listen to me, if you don't let the Holy Spirit do something in your life, you're not going to get any of it right. Quit hiding. Quit pretending. And the thing is, is what we forget is, is though we may love Jesus, and I said this last week, and I, and I hope that it begins resonating home with you. God doesn't, God, Jesus didn't just die for us to save us. He died for us because he loved us, and, caveat, and he wants a relationship with you. 
a real one, a real relationship. And the thing about real relationships is they have to have some honesty. You have to be honest. And our, how could we ever have a real relationship with God if we couldn't just be really honest with them? Tell them, hey, I, I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I don't see what you're doing. Why is this happening? We forget that half of Psalms is lamentations, right? Which is a fancy word for complaints and depression. Kind of together. This book of Habakkuk is literally a book about complaining. It is he might as well be called the complaining prophet. And there's a reality there that we need to embrace this thing, that the thing we can give Habakkuk credit for is he was close enough with God to give him a real prayer. Because I'm much like you sometimes. I fall in this, this category. I pray God, like, man, God, like, let me be grateful. I want to have a good day. Watch over people. Keep them safe. Don't let me get sick. You know, heal, maybe heal somebody. But I forget to really tap into the reality of, like, man, God, I'm feeling like, I'm just tired. <laughs> like, I, I don't like working this hard. Why are you doing this? Like, why did this person hurt me? Why did you let this person succeed? And I'm over here, like, trying to do your work, and I'm barely getting by. Like, we forget to turn this in a little bit and to bring it to them, to draw it in the light. And when I love it because if you read the rest of God's response, be ready for a real answer. Be ready for a real answer. Because Habakkuk brings complaints to the table, and then God goes, his first comment in verse 5 is, look at the nations that observe and be utterly astounded, for I'm doing something in your day that you won't believe when you hear about it. And then he goes on and talks about how he's raising up the, Ch the Chaldeans, which were this awful, awful group, this, this terrible kingdom this terrible and he talks about how like they raid people i mean these are people who would put bodies on stakes in front of their in front of build uh, in front of different towns that they had taken over just to tell everybody hey we were here watch out imagine the response happening he's like he's already complaining about how bad it is he's like look man there's no justice here the laws aren't working your people aren't listening we've got horrible leaders like what are you doing i'm tired of struggling i'm tired of suffering and God's like, well, good, because we're going to suffer some more. We've got some more suffering coming. And here's the, here's the reality. Remember, because God's plan throughout this book is going to be directing something. He's going to be leading the Israelites. And as we read it, we can turn this into ourselves. He's leading us into this. He's leading them to response. But the first thing he gives them is the bad news. The first thing he does, keep an, keep an eye here a couple of things I want to point you to as, as we look at this passage. Um, one, if you look at Habakkuk's complaint about justice, I'll bring it up here. He said that the justice that they had was coming out perverted, which means twisted, distorted, wrong. And then when God is talking about the Chaldeans, he says their view of justice and sovereignty stems from themselves might be a little confusing for some of some when you think about that because you're like what's well, that's not necessarily terrible but it should remind us a little bit of our own time right see god when he wrote out the torah one of the things that was renowned in that area was man that's a that this god is a god of like really good laws like these are these are good moral laws these are a good standard 
And then we have this group here being compared to themselves. They're, they're, they use themselves as their own justice, right? And they've, they've distorted their view of what the moral stance should be. They, they've distorted what they think is justice so that it always benefits them. It always stirs in their heart. It stems from them. So when you don't have a moral standard, guess what happens? When you don't have a standard outside yourself, you'll, get you'll uh, end up finding justice only on your side. Justice will always be something that benefits you. It'll always be something that allows your people. And if you want to see good examples of this, uh, we look just through the most recent history, right? If we look at the places like some of the colonialization issues we've seen. Right? Justice in those senses were places like Great Britain you know, go over and take over a country. And their view of justice was now you must adhere to our culture. You must adhere to our, the way we teach things. And anything you did is bad. Same thing. It was stemming from one place. God's telling the people of Israel... That these people are not going to follow my rule. They're not going to listen to my book. They're going to have their own rules and their own laws, and they're not going to be good. He's giving you a list of why those wouldn't be. But he's going to point out this. And it goes back to this is going to be extremely hard to reckon with. And the real wet question you need to begin pondering over the next few weeks is what do you do when God doesn't answer prayers the way you want him to? How many of us have had a prayer that God has, didn't answer like we wanted, right? I mean, I think if you've ever prayed, that's probably happened. I want this to happen. I want, you know, I want to be productive. I want to be successful in my life. I used to have a prayer myself of I wanted to be rich and famous collegiate football coach, and we see where that's worked out at this point. You know, there's, there's a reality of God is always listening, but he won't necessarily answer. And when he does answer, he doesn't necessarily answer the way we want him to. And the question is, this is where our faith begins to come into play. What do we do with this? How do we respond to this? Because that's what actually working out our faith is. That's the action of our faith. It would be easy to worship God if you got everything. It would be easy, Right? God, I need all my finances covered. Done, I got you. Covered. You don't have to ever worry about it again. Oh, okay, that's easy. It would find, we would find ourselves easily able to, to thank him, so we think. See, but God's not in the business of making us comfortable. And, and that's a hard thing to grasp. God's not in the business of making you comfortable. God's in the business of making you like Christ. That's, that's a hard truth. Because if you think about how Christ lived his life in perfect harmony with him, following his will perfectly, only to receive oppression, only to receive a cross, that's the reality. So many of us may be quick to gravitate to, oh, I'm always being oppressed, but we know the difference internally. We do. And it's important for us to remember a couple things. I want to share with you as I was studying this week a verse that rang in my head as I thought about this, and I think God led it to us. He says, but 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my way. This is the Lord's declaration. And I think that's something key that we need to remember as we begin this passage, as we've read this passage today, as we continue to push forward, is God's thoughts are far exceeding ours. But there's a part of us that is always in rebellion. And this is, for me, this was a key thing for faith. I think it's a key thing for most people is realize we are in constant state of rebelling, even as Christians. Certainly when we're lost. We're, we're constantly rebelling against God, and this is how we do it, okay? It's not just like, oh, I don't, I don't believe in God. No, it's I, deep down, somewhere think I can do better than God. And I want to tell you, think about the garden, right? You had Adam and Eve, and God had specifically told Adam, don't eat from this tree. It's not good. I don't want you to eat from it. Don't eat it, period. Done, okay? And then Adam eats from it. Why? Like, I... Like, why? Why does he do it? And if we go back and listen to what Satan was saying to him, he's like, look, man, you're going to know what God knows now. God just doesn't want you to have this knowledge. God doesn't know what he's doing. You too could be like God. And we don't realize that so much of our rebellious nature comes from that little simple truth. And if we had it exposed, like, straightforward, like if, if, we, if Satan wasn't as soothing and calm and attractive this wouldn't really be an issue. Like, if he just came out and said, hey, you think you know better than God? You'd be like, no, God, of course, knows more than me. But he doesn't. He starts with, man, like, there sure is a lot of evil in this world. Man, that's, that's really depressing what happened the other day with that family. That's really sad to hear about how there's people who can't eat and feed their kids. Like, that's horrible. Why wouldn't God fix that? You know what? Maybe God doesn't know what he's doing. And it starts on, on this track. And that's why we need verses like Isaiah to remind ourselves, man, I don't, I, of course I don't know. How could I possibly know? I don't even know all the stuff on earth. God knows everything within the galaxies. How would I, how would I wrap my head around this? But my, my, my natural rebellious state gravitates to this idea. I want to be king. I want to be God. And it's important to see the tie here going back to having a set standard of rules, right, where justice comes from. One of the, what's the first commandment? I'm going to give a chance. This is a response time now. So what's the first commandment? Anyone know it? What is it, Cheryl? I saw you. Yes, that's right. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, Right? And a lot of times we look at that and go, well, of course that makes sense because there's so many fake gods back then, right? Like they've got Baal, Baal, whatever his name is, and today. They've got Molech, they've got all these crazy Egyptian gods. Like it makes so much sense that that would be a rule. But here's the thing underneath that is this interesting little theme because Jesus has to restate this later. He says, yeah, love God and love people. Like, we're going to make it simple. But you can't do that if you keep trying to overtake them. See, the, the thing that God was most worried about being replaced by and most concerned about who was going to be on the throne was us. Us. We have a tendency to want to put ourselves on his throne. We want his glory and we want his honor and we want his stuff. Like, we're like really terrible kids. We really are. And then when we don't get our way, what do we do? We throw a fit. Right? Right? 
And we kick and scream and we holler and go, what are you doing? Now, for those of us who have and have dealt with or have heard some of our children in here perhaps, this is a very common and natural state of children. And here we are. And we find something interesting that God's trying to use reason right here and it's not going to go over well. As you get into chapter 2, uh, the end of chapter 1 and then into chapter 2, you're going to see Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk he's going to respond kind of like what we would respond to. Like, well, that doesn't sound like it makes any sense at all. Are you kidding me? But here's that reality. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Over and over again. He reminds us of this. There's great comfort in this. And, and this is where I want you to take home this week from this passage because it's important that we start getting this in our heads because there's two realities in life one of them is that death is always coming all of us have to keel over at some point and two there you're never that far from a hardship if things are great now there's a valley coming if you're in a valley now the good thing is it's not forever but something's coming and it always is and there's always stuff going on and it's not just your life, it's all of our lives. We've all got stuff going on. How do you respond? The first part of today's passage, I want you to consider this. One, be honest with God. The most freeing thing you can do in the world is stand before the Creator, scream on the top of your lungs, I'm not happy with what's going on right now. I don't like this. I'm angry. I'm angry at you. I'm angry at me. I'm angry at all of this. God is not going to smite you where you stand if you get frustrated with him and you get angry with him. He's not. Remember, he's a good parent. Uh, he's not going to beat you for this. And what he wants is a real relationship, and you can't have that if you will not have a real conversation with him. The second thing is listen for his response, and this is where we, we're bad about this. We're, we're not good, be prefaced, including this guy right here. Listen for a response. God will speak to you. Now, some of us are fortunate. Maybe God has actually, like, spoken to you. Like, maybe he's stirred in your spirit, small, quiet voice. Maybe smacked you with something. I don't know. I do know that there is one place I guarantee you he will speak, and that's in his scriptures, because he's already spoken. So you can start there, and you can start with some quiet time. Let him stir in your heart and see what happens. But don't go and yell at him and then not talk to him anymore. That's not a relationship either. Lastly, remind yourself of this verse, that God is not you, and you are not God. God's ways are above you. His thoughts are not your thoughts. But what God has said, and that we know we can trust, is that he is good. So when God doesn't, it doesn't mean he's not good. So we're going to close in some prayer. I'm going to have the worship team come up, and we're going to sing. And as we go into prayers, one thing I want you to, to think about, one last thing is that our faith that we have is, is that we trust God to do what he says, that he is who he says he is, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, even when we can't see him doing it. That's what the key to our faith is. And the thing is, is when you can't see him, it's a vision problem. That's all it is. It's a vision problem. And God's really good at healing blind. He's got a couple of places in the Bible where he does it really well. 
He's really good at healing the blind. And he will give you sight when it's time. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We want to encourage you to like and follow so that we might reach others with God's good news. You can hear more messages like this at www.theriversedge.church. Have a blessed week.